Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that we worship you. You are the only one worthy, worthy of our praises. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. We thank you for that name. Lord, that we can go to you, Lord, at any time with any request, and you are there. You are faithful. You are powerful. And Father, this morning we lift up we lift up a number of people from this local church body, Father, and we ask your touch in their lives and their bodies. Lord, we pray for Rusty Schuler this morning and Claudette Richardson and Gene Hawkins and Terry Ortinsky. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done in their bodies already. We thank you for what you have brought them through. And Lord, we ask for that healing touch to be complete. Lord, that you would receive the glory, that you would receive the honor. Lord, you alone are worthy. You've proven yourself time and time again. Lord, you are our all in all. And we give you praise, Lord. We ask for you to touch Rusty God. Bring complete healing to his body. Lord, give Claudette victory, Lord, over this this cancer, Father. Hallelujah, God. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in Gene Hawkins in just the the past several hours, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you bring complete healing to Terry this morning as well, Father God. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We ask it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, take a few minutes. Greet someone this morning. Well, good morning. Hello. Don't get, don't get, you guys are really into that greeting thing. And it's great because you only really see each other for a few minutes, you know, and then the, somebody gets up here and preaches at you. And so you can't, you're not supposed to be talking when the preacher's doing his thing. But anyways, we're glad you're here. Got a beautiful day. And thank God for yesterday. They kept talking about this ominous storm heading our way. Did anybody get a tornado? I don't think so. I think it was, it was a nice rain last night. We needed that. So, and today we have some beautiful sunshine. What a blessing. What a great spring it's been. Winter is over, as you know. I do not like winter, so we're glad to be where we are today. Hey, listen, if you're here for the first time and your seat back in front of you is a little card, looks like this, connect card, fill that out and take it to our information desk at the end of service on your way out. It's on the right-hand side, and we have a bag of things that we want you to have, and they're worth having. It's worth you stopping by, so fill that out and pop pop that over to the information desk people. At this time, we're going to ask the ushers to prepare. We want to honor the Lord with our giving, so let's pray together as they prepare. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing all around the world and especially here at Praise Assembly, and in our own locale. God, I thank you that you are doing things. You're at work. Even when we don't see you working, we know you're working. And Lord, I thank you, God, that we, are, we can be part of that, and that our tithes and offerings provide for that kind of ministry. And Lord, I pray your blessing now on this tithe and this offering from each one of us, that you'd bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, worship team. All right, just recapping some of the things that are in your bulletin this morning. Uh, there is a girls' ministries event happening this next weekend from 10 to 2, and you can read about that. Hopefully by now, um, your children, your girls are already registered for that. Uh, and then two weeks from today or this weekend is Royal Rangers are having their Blue Ridge Adventure, May 5 through 7. And then next week as well uh, is the girls' event on Saturday. Sunday morning begins a new check-in procedure. Uh, we, we really want this church to be a safe place for everyone. And so to increase that, we've, got a, a, we've redesigned our check-in for Kids Church, and then Junior Kids Church will follow a couple of weeks later. So keep that in mind. And then also I've I'm, I'm been asked to remind you that uh, Vacation Bible School is going to happen this summer, and uh, we need helpers for that. Registration is also open online. But I want to share a video that Miss Lucy has left for us. Before VBS, I was a chef at a fancy restaurant just down the street. Retired. I'm a mom to two beautiful girls and a dance coach. Before VBS, I taught middle school gym. I lead a small group for teenagers. Who would have known that it would all lead to this? <laughs> oh yeah. I let my granddaughters dress me out, but that's why I was so ready to get dressed up for the skits. I get to create masterful, theme-inspired dishes for snack time. Outdoor activities, they're my jam. That's why I love leading games. I love to dance. I dance at the coffee shop. I even dance when I'm watering my plants. That's why I jump at this opportunity. High fives are essential for crew leaders. That's why I've been working hard on the High Fiverator 2.0. The reward? It's the kids. Hands down. They inspire me. The kids' bright, shining faces. When the kids are happy, I'm happy. Making sure they have fun makes it all worthwhile. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. Will you step up? Please see Miss Lucy and sign up. Amen. One other announcement we have today, and it's, um, I was going to say it's bittersweet. I don't know if it's sweet at all. It might just be bitter. Um, but Dana Leslie, this is her last Sunday here at Praise, unless you come back to visit, which we hope will happen. And uh, she's moving from Delaware to outside Atlanta, Georgia. And I, I, every time I think about it, I had to say that very carefully because I keep thinking Colorado because... Years ago, you left the area, and you and Jim went to out, out west, and this time they're going south, not that far away, so we might see them. So those of you that know her, be sure you get a hug from her before she leaves here today. Uh, but I, I would like you all to stand with me. I'm going to go over to Dana and just pray with her, uh, pray for her in this new venture, this new change in her life, um, and you guys can just reach out a hand. Again, if you, if you know her and you want to say goodbye to her, do that later, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Dana, Lord, all the years that she's been part of this assembly, Lord. And God, I just thank you for all that she's done here, Lord, leading the choir over the years and so many other things, Father. We pray your blessing in this transition, Lord, that everything continue to go smoothly. Lord, that she would simply know that she is in your will, Father. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Even if you're not good, just be like, I'm doing fantastic. 
sometimes you just, I know I use that a lot, fake until you make it, but that's a, a reality of life at times. Well, it is good to see everyone. I hope you've had a great week. And again, as I often say, if you haven't, you are beginning this week in a very important way, coming here and being together. So today is the Church of Pergamum. Everybody say Pergamum. It's, it's one of those words you don't say very often. And uh, we're going to be talking about that in a moment. Uh, what I want to ask you is this. How many here know where each other lives? That's a broad question, where each other lives. Uh, if you had to guess, how many here, with, with a raise of hand, you know where five different people, where they actually live? Like you could pull up to their front door, five people in this room, you know where they live. If you think you could raise your hand. Five people, okay. How about, let's raise it up a little bit. How many 10 people? You think you know where 10 people live? Okay, still, still a good chunk of you. Yeah, still a good chunk. How about, anybody, anybody thinks, and I know this is quick thinking, but does anybody think they could do 20? Like, I, I bet you I could get to 20 different houses. I could do it. And, uh, you know, if, if you're up that high, that, that's impressive to know actually where they live, be able to drive to their house. Now, think about wherever it is that you grew up. Now, if you were a person that grew up, like, you know, you're a military family or you just moved a lot for whatever reason, this might be a little more challenging. But if you kind of lived in, an, in a neighborhood or an area for, you know, several years at a time, how many can remember your neighborhood growing up and remember where everyone lived? You know, where your friends lived, you know, this neighbor, you couldn't, if a ball rolled onto his yard, you know, you, you just left it there. You know, it was gone. It might as well just dropped into a black hole because you weren't supposed to go on that lawn. Or you knew, you know, where this lady was who gave out the best, you know, candy at Halloween or whatever. You just knew where everyone was. Uh, I can think right now of my neighborhood as a kid. I can think of where I grew up and I knew where Mike and I knew where Daryl and Linda and Paul and Dan lived. I knew where they all lived. I could go to their house. I could ride my bike to their house. I could walk to their house. Some of them were really that close. But I knew where everyone was. I knew who had a nicer home, who didn't. I knew who had a pool, right? Because you want those friends. I knew who had a pool. Um, I knew who had dogs. We had a, my best friend as a kid, Mike. He had a Doberman. His name was Schultz, the name of the Doberman. And yeah, Schultz. And uh, he, was, he was literally chained up to this doghouse all the time, and you'd go in the yard, and he would bark like a crazed dog because he was stuck outside all day. And, um, and so I, I knew who had dogs. We knew whose yard was a good, like, kickball yard or a good, you know, throw a football or a baseball yard. We, we knew where each other lived. Um, I knew my yard uh, in, in the apartment. I was the only, in, in, my, in my neighborhood, like a four three or four block radius. We lived in the only apartment building. Actually, there was our building, our apartment building, and one right next door. We were triple-decker apartments uh, up in New England, a lot of places. They're very common, um, you know, especially when you get towards more urban areas. You, know, you got first, second, third floor, same entrance, you go up. And uh, in, in my yard, between the, the apartment we lived in, there was a, a dilapidated garage, and it would lean like this. Like, my landlord just left it like that, just like, just, you know, just leaned over, like, obviously leaned. And as I've probably mentioned before, maybe some of you heard it or haven't, you know, we'd, as, as young kids, we'd get on the roof, and we'd tear off asphalt shingles off the roof, and we'd have shingle fights, and you'd just throw those suckers. And I mean, it was literally like 
throwing Chinese stars around the neighborhood. It really was, because it would go through the air and it would like do all kinds of dips and turns, and, and we, would, we would do that. We would have shingle fights, because that's what you do, right? And uh, we had a septic system uh, uh, in, in our yard, and it would overflow, because you can imagine three families, you know, probably like 10 kids, everybody, um, and it would overflow all the time. We'd play kickball in my yard, but sometimes the ball would land in the sewer and it would be all sewage on the ground. But we were very clean, so we would pick the ball up and we'd wipe it on the dry glass, the dry grass, and then we'd just keep playing, you know? Um, you'd think I would never get sick with all the exposure to disease and, you know, uh, you'd think that would be the case. And uh, we knew everything about everybody's yard, everybody's house. We knew where each other lived. Which brings me to the church we're going to talk about today, the church of Pergamum, the church at Pergamum, rather. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to read the first verse. We're going to talk a little bit here. It says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. See, in Roman times... The sword symbolized judgment, the execution of power. And if you had the sword, uh, you were able to bring domination over people. And the message to, the, to this leader in Pergamum uh, had authority and it had weight. And uh, now let me just start at the verse 13. I'm going to read the remainder of the letter to this church. It says this, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. See, the message to this church has some important messages to be able to give to this church and to us today. Number one. God's knowledge of our situation. He says here, I know where you live. I know where you live. See, the pattern has been this in the book of Revelation, these, these seven churches. The pattern has been uh, for five of the seven churches is there's a, a recognition and a, and a praise of them a, 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 where, where, where uh, Jesus says, hey, I see this about, I see this quality, I see what you're doing here. And then uh, there's an admonition or rebuke. And the other six churches, the message the, the initially is, I know your deeds, or in the case of Smyrna, I know your suffering, your affliction, 
I know these things. But this church, the initial observation is, I know where you live. I know where you live. It's a strange observation, a little different than the other seven, of course. And the word live here has a, has a permanence to it, that you are solidly placed. It's not, it's not someone who's here for a year or two or three and they move on. He says, I know where you live. I know where you're, where you're grounded. I know where you're rooted. Now, there is some evidence that there was a Jewish, a small Jewish community in this area. And, and we, we kind of, it alludes to that because they actually know about Balaam, which is an Old Testament pagan prophet. They understand that story. But regardless, they were an established church. Not new, not easily moved. Don't you appreciate people like that in your life that are, uh, it, it's fun to meet new people. It can be really uh, invigorating to meet new people. But you also need people in your life that are kind of immovable. immovable. You ever met those people that they're just there, they're the same, they're dependable? And that's what this church is. But the greater point is God knew, uh, the, the greater point is this, is what defined him is that Satan had his throne there. Satan, I mean, that's a, that's a very strong descriptor. Satan has your throne. Um, any, any New York City folks here? Maybe you used to live near the city or outside the city. Probably a few of you around here. Uh, what, what neighborhood in mid-Manhattan uh, would be similar to the, the place where Satan sits? It's uh, Hell's Kitchen, right? How many have heard of Hell's Kitchen? You know, there have been times over the years when I've tried to cook things and it's been like Hell's Kitchen. You know, you go in there and you're like, oh my gosh. I remember one day I thought um, uh, cooking up jalapenos in, in a... Uh, um, like in a frying pan. It's, it's, how many have ever done it? Like jalapenos, cook them up with a little oil, cook them up. They're just fantastic. Some of you are looking at me like, what? What are you talking about? One day I thought it'd be really great to do it with some nice habaneros. And I'm not kidding you. We had to leave our house. It was like I just let off a bomb, you know, eyes burning. I mean, it's like the police came in and threw in a canister you know, that kind of just blew up and like, you know, tear gas everywhere. I mean, we literally had to leave the house. We had to take off. That was, that was Hell's Kitchen. Another place I think of is a place just north of Boston called the City of Lynn. Anybody heard of Lynn, Massachusetts? And uh, the, the saying, I won't say the whole saying because, because the end of the saying is derogatory towards women. But the beginning of the saying, uh, of this saying, and I grew up hearing this from people, you know, I lived outside, lived on the other side of the city. Lin Lin, the city of sin, you never come out the way you came in. You ask for water, but they give you gin. And then it goes on to say some things about ladies. And it's, it's, it was known, Lynn, I mean, even pastors probably heard of Lin Lin, the city of sin, I'm, I'm sure. He, well, he's probably going to say, I've never heard of that in my life. But, but it's true. That's what they said about Lynn. And about this city here of Pergamum, it is again a place where Satan has his throne. So the opposition of this city to Christianity is clear. Pergamum is strongly pagan, strongly pagan, very prosperous, and also famous. And because of this city and what it's known for and what these believers um, are, are living in their reality, where they live. There are just a few things that really make it, um, make it a challenge. And number one, it's, uh, it's the, the culture itself 
created difficulty. Greco-Roman gods are worshipped everywhere. Um, I know I'm going to say this one wrong. I've, I've practiced it and everything, but uh, Eclepius, Athena, Demeter, or Demeter, and Dionysus. Uh, these were all the gods worshipped there. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about one of the others in a moment. Citizens were strongly encouraged to be a part of the civic religion, to participate in festivals, food, sacrifice to idols. I mean, it was, it was strongly encouraged in that city to be a part. And so the culture was a, was a difficult culture to function as, in, as a believer. It's also the structures that you saw regularly were created difficulty. It's called the, the place that had the Satan has his throne. Possibly a reference to a massive altar of Zeus that was 120 feet by approximately 112 feet. I would have guessed about 120 feet is, is I'm, I'm going to guess, is about as wide as this room. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not too far off. And then 112 that way. I mean, a big space, a thing that, that was sat in the citadel overlooking the city. Also had a temple, a temple to a, where there's emperor worship, a temple built to Augustus. And so here's a place where not only culturally is it, a, is it in opposition to the gospel, opposition to what these believers hold dearly, but structure, you walk around, you just see all these things that are reminding you constantly of what this place is about. And then there were laws created that made it difficult. Verse 13 says, Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in this city where Satan lives. See, this was a person known to these believers, an event that these believers were very familiar with. Antipas martyrdom, what it did when he was, when he was killed for his faith, it set a legal precedence to murder Christians. It set a precedent to do that. So in the future, um, it, could, it could be done legally. It was said to hear that he was roasted to death in a hollow brass bull. You know, when you think about that, here is a culture that creates difficulty, but then a uh, structures and infrastructure that constantly reminds people of what they're about as a city. And then also laws created that push in the way of anti-God, anti-Christian. And uh, let me bring you some courage today. We're going to talk a little bit more here. But God knows where you and I live. He knows where you live. Uh, not only in the culture we live in. See, he understands we live in a culture that has a lot of idolatry. How many know that? That we live in a culture where there is a lot of idolatry. Now, we don't have a brass bull or a gold calf or different things like that. But think about it. Think about what you scroll and watch on social media or just even the very thing that, that we have in our pockets here. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. I, it's crazy. Sometimes I just want to throw it in the pond out back, right? But then you couldn't reach me and you'd be mad and think I was ignoring you. But think of the idol worship. Food. All the ways you can cook cauliflower. All the different things, all the time, food, sports, Super Bowl Sunday, you know, what was the joke the other, the, several years ago? You, know, you, can watch, you can watch pro football Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and then Thursday night, 
And then sometimes playoff time, Saturday and Sunday again. It's like, you know, five days a week you can watch it. Celebrity, beauty, affluence, unconditional tolerance. How about this is something that is worshipped or, 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 or communicated rather. We're repulsed by aging. We are, as a culture, we are repulsed by aging. You don't want to look old. What is wrong with you? Everyone wants to look like we're 30 for the rest of our lives. There's no value in getting older. It's just, you know, it's how it is. We're repulsed by it as a culture. All these things that go on. This opposition to biblical family structure. So even in our culture, God knows where you and I live. But bringing it a little tighter, he knows where you live at home. Maybe you're the only believer at home. Maybe you're the only one in your family that, that really has any type of, of faith at all. And you're alone in that way. Maybe it's openly antagonized and you're giving a difficult time for what you believe and the standards that you hold in life. Maybe at your work there are tremendous limits of conversation, what you can even talk about with other people. Maybe you're pushed to recognize or celebrate things that are in opposition to the gospel. But there's all kinds of things within our culture where we live that God knows all about. He knows the technology that is used increasingly in evil ways that you must navigate as a person, as a parent, as a young man or a young woman. He knows the laws that in some ways seem to be moving towards godlessness more and more. He sees you and your family origin. He sees those who oppose you. He sees your struggle emotionally. He sees your financial realities. He sees your cultural and language struggle that you go through and endure. He sees your marital incompatibility. She says green, he says blue. One goes north, one goes south. I mean, everybody knows in, in some marriages, it just seems like, wow, this is, this is a hard go at it. You know, this is a challenge in a lot of different ways. And maybe God, uh, well, maybe that's your situation. God sees those challenges you face in that. He sees you being misunderstood. He sees you being hurt or abused. He sees your limitations you have, your educational gaps that really frustrate you. He sees unfulfilled hopes and dreams, physical burdens due to disease that you face, and every hardship that you can think of. He knows, God knows, where you and I live. Now, in spite of all these obstacles, the church in Pergamum had this. And it says this, Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. So despite all these obstacles, these barriers to serving Jesus, in spite of living in Pergamum, the place where Satan's throne is, the place where everything around them said, hey, don't serve God, do this, do this. In spite of all that, they remain true. And even in the Gospels, Jesus is always commending, impressed, uh, uh, joyful, when he meets people that, in spite of obstacles, live by faith. 
How about the, the woman when he was sitting in the temple watching people give their offerings and the, the, the widow who gave that small amount? He's like, man, this, this woman's going to be told about forever. This right here, that's giving right there. That is it. And they're like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? How about the, uh, the Gentile centurion? He said, Jesus, don't even come to my house. All you have to do to say the, is say the word and my servant will be healed. I get authority. I get how, I get how it works. And literally, Jesus has just said, I haven't seen faith like this in all, in all of Israel. How about the woman with the condition, the disease uh, of, of bleeding? And she goes through this crowd and gets there, and Jesus recognizes someone has touched me. How about the crowded house where you couldn't get in, so they just ripped a hole through the roof? Can you imagine that? That story is still, that's one of my favorite stories because it's like, we're getting in here. I think I, it, it reminds me of like when you're desperate to do something, the crazy things you do. I mean, it was the middle of winter, January in, uh, in Massachusetts, and me and my friend Rob wanted to play basketball, on, but it was ice, everywhere was ice. So, um, so we poured gasoline all over the basketball court and we lit it on fire because we thought, that will melt the ice. And it melted it enough so we could get a shovel and break up the pieces. But then the ground was like really slick because it's, it's petroleum. And so we were wiping out and we smelled like gas. The desperate things you do. <laughs> the desperate things you do. Pastor Brandon and Pastor, we love, this, is, this story is on stories of idiotic things. We should not be alive. Isn't that a TV show? I shouldn't be alive. Yeah, those are some. Um, but here's a, here's a, a, a man whose friends ripped a hole in the roof and just lowered him down, you know, lowered him down to be, uh, and if there are students here, that does not work. Do not light ice on fire. Don't do that, please. Setting a good example. But Jesus is always, people that see obstacles and still believe God, still trust him, still have faith in him. Despite all obstacles, they believe God. Another important message is not only that God knows where you live, and that's very important. That's very important. Probably the dominant message, the message um, that, uh, that is equally important is number two, he calls us to obedience. He says this, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, at first glance, you're like, I mean, can you cut them some slack, Jesus? They live in like place where Satan lives, you know, Satan's throne. Can you just, can you cut them a break? Have you ever looked at somebody in life, their situation, and maybe they're, they're living in a difficult situation or they're coming from a difficult situation, and then they make a really bad decision or they do something that's very destructive to themselves, and, and you're like, I, I get... I get where they're coming from. If you're, if you're a fellow, I get it. I mean, I wouldn't have done that, but I understand, I understand why maybe they chose to do that. And you think, but Jesus, can't you just cut these people a break? Look at where they live. Can't you cut them some slack? And, and this isn't a slack issue for God. God's not like, uh, you know, uh, he's not a God who says, man, you're, I'm really proud of you, but you're trash. Like, that's, that's not, the, that's not the, the, the tone of this. That's not the, the idea of this. Because anything that, that basically, uh, that when we're living in disobedience to God, it brings separation. And God will not stand for that because he loves us so dearly. 
And regardless of, of where you're from, what's happening around you, and the obstacles that you and I face, no matter where you're from, no matter how terrible home was, no matter how difficult your marriage is right now, no matter how much you hate going to work every day, no matter what, 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 what we, could, we could list a, a thousand things, God is still, still calling you and I to obedience. He still calls us, still calls us to that. We can be so quick, though, sometimes to call people to task for how they live, and rightfully so. We've talked about that in the past. Our pastor has, has spoken on that, and we've done Wednesday night Bible studies talking about that, that, we, hey, we are called as, as Christians to other Christians to, to say, hey, you know, we have a, we, we've been called to live in a way that's different from this world. We can't live like that, man. We can't be doing that. We can't say those things. Do those. It's okay to do that. People that really love each other do that. Amen? People that really love each other and care about each other will call each other out. But oftentimes we're so quick to call people out and yet we let ourselves off the hook so much easier. Have you ever done that? You look at them and you're like, unbelievable. And then we've got something going on. Well, they, hey, I've got a unique situation. Of the billions of people that have ever lived, mine's very different. Somehow we're special, we're unique, we're whatever we are, and we let ourselves off the hook. And God says to this church, I know where you live. Nevertheless, I want to challenge you on this. I have these things against you. And the church in Pergamum was allowing the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans to exist in their midst. In their midst. They were allowing teaching, false doctrine, immorality to go on with some among them. We know Balaam, if you look in, you can do this on your own this afternoon if you'd like to. Numbers 22, probably the most well-known pagan prophet in the Old Testament. He was the one that led Israel to intermarry and ultimately commit, commit sexual immorality. So he mentions Balaam here. Uh, the Nicolaitans, uh, Nicholas, if you look in the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Acts, how many know the disciples were like, you know, what's that expression, busier than a one-armed wallpaper hanger or whatever? They're, just, they're busy. There are all kinds of things. I just butchered that. I don't even know. But they were busy. That's the danger of saying things that's not in your notes. <laughs> but what had happened here is uh, deacons were elected, and Nicholas was one of the deacons. And he fell into false teaching about the body and the spirit. And ultimately, he came to this conclusion, this false conclusion, that the body should be allowed because it's evil, it should be allowed to fulfill its desires, and our spirit should be allowed to receive all the grace from God, and that's just how life will go and work. And now, if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Paul talks all about sexuality, about the, about the uh, um, uh, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6. These passages speak clearly that our bodies are to be submitted to Christ. That, you know, it, it's like money. Money doesn't love you. Money doesn't hate you. Um, money has no feeling towards you. It's indifferent. It's, it's just money. Your body that you live in here, um, it is... It is almost uh, kind of neutral in the sense of it's something you need to submit to God, just like you would your money or just like you would, you know, your relationships or whatever, that you submit and say, God, I'm, I'm worshiping you with this. 
I'm honoring you with this. So it's important, right, that we take care of what we've been given. Any resource you have, you want to take care of it. You have a lawnmower, you know, you have a car, you have whatever. It's all worship. We take care of it and we worship God. And so uh, some of these people had fallen under these teachings and, uh, and were believing these false doctrines taught by or instigated by Balaam and taught by Nicholas. And uh, it's interesting because our own understanding can lead us astray. But the word of God is like a, like a, a compass. And you can, you can be in confusion. You can be in a trunk of a car. You could be, you know, you could be anywhere in this world and be spun around. You know, that party game where they spin you around uh, uh, and you have a bat, you can hit a pinata. You know, you don't know where you are. You're swinging. You could be hitting people. But the, the reality is, is when we're in life that way, we don't know what to do. We don't know what way is up or what direction is the right direction to go in. A compass will show us what direction is the correct direction to go. And that's the word of God here. And that's what had happened to this church is somewhere along the way, certain people within this church have been allowed to believe these lies and to propagate those to some degree or some level. We have so many reasons to do uh, in life when, you know, when, when we want to uh, do what we think is best in a moment or, or, or just as easier, maybe a path of least resistance or you know, uh, all kinds of opportunities just to go our own way, do our own thing. Look at Abraham. He's traveling. He meets a king. The king thinks his wife is beautiful and he lies and says, this is my sister. How about Lot and his wife? Leave the city, don't look back. You know what happens to Lot's wife. Aaron is waiting with all the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And Moses, they don't know if he's dead or gone. He's up there. So all the people are cantankerous. And they're like, hey, they're getting rowdy. And what's going on? And so he said, I told them, just give me gold. And I just threw it there. And it just a calf came out. You know, and we're worshiping the calf. And uh, Saul is is facing an enemy, and it's taking too much time for Samuel to get there. You remember the story? Taking too much time, and soldiers are starting to leave. You can't fight a war without soldiers, and they're leaving. And so he says, hey, well, you know, I've seen this done before. I can do this, so bring me the sacrifice. Let's get this done and do it. And then he loses the kingdom on it. Jonah is called to go and to uh, preach to Nineveh, the hated people, the people that despise the Israelites. Now, I don't want to go there. I can't. These people are wrong. They're evil. They deserve everything from God that they get. And he goes the other direction, gets swallowed by a whale. Of course, you know the story. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, they lie about what they sold their property for. And then uh, Sapphira is given a chance. Hey, is this, what, is this what, what happened? Is this what you paid? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After her husband already died and she drops dead. See, there's all kinds of opportunity for us to be able to do our own thing. Go our own way. Use our own judgment. And, and again, as you follow Christ, you look at the word of God, you age, hopefully all of us develop some good judgment based on what is true. But sometimes in life, we just want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. God knows where we live. He knows where we live. He knows where we're from, where we're coming from. But he still calls us to obedience. Regardless of our hardship we find ourselves in, 
God is lovingly calling us to obey. He's jealous for our obedience and devotion. Do you know that? He is jealous for our obedience and our devotion. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 6 says this, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens and on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and, third and fourth generations of those who reject me. This is my favorite part. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. We don't think it's odd in a marriage, or we shouldn't. We shouldn't think it's odd in a marriage where the husband and wife say, hey, I'm not going to share you with somebody else. We don't think that to be odd. We would say, yeah, you know, if you want a healthy marriage, you, you, you've got to make that standard. You have to set that bar. Open marriages don't work. Why would we think it's any different with God? What, why should God, if you don't share in your marriage, why should God share you with anybody else, with an idol or another God? Why? He shouldn't. He's the creator of everything. He's the one that holds truth and is truth. No matter your hardship that you're experiencing, God is inviting you and I to obey him in loving, in forgiving, in giving, in believing, in standing, in opposing, and maybe in stepping out. God's calling you that. So God knows where we live. God is calling us to obedience. And number three to this church in Pergamum, God's promise of a reward. Verse 17 says, to the one who is victorious, I will give. Now, reward in this passage is challenging maybe to bring to our modern world because here is verse 17. Here's what it says. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, just to be very transparent and plain and honest, hidden manna, okay, I mean, if I'm thinking of rewards, I mean, I'm thinking of shiny vehicles, okay, I'm thinking of great trips somewhere, um, I'm thinking of all kinds of different things. I'm not thinking of hidden manna. I, I don't sit at home and go, man, you know I could really use Jody? I could use some hidden manna. I, gotta, I, I don't say that. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think, man... I don't go through the cabinets and be like, does anybody know where the hidden man is? Because I'm really craving some right now. So it's hard to connect that in your brain and in your experience. And then like, you know, I would give that person a white stone with a new name on it. You know, when I think of that, I, think, I literally think at the end of a driveway, this stone that says your name. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. Like, I guess I wouldn't be unhappy with that, but it just doesn't, it's not connecting very well with what I think a reward is. You know, what I think or what maybe you think of as a reward. But let me see if we can't see what this meant to the original readers and bring it down to where we live. Exodus chapter 16, we see manna. People are hungry, they're in need of food and God provides 
something called manna for them. It's an unusual, delicious taste, something that comes out in the morning and they can gather it. It's got some weird qualifiers, though. Uh, You can't save it for the next day. It's this bread-like substance, and it's obviously nutritious enough to be able to eat it. Boy, imagine imagine being able to have that scientifically and examining that and what was in it. That'd be really cool. Um, You couldn't gather it. You could gather it, but you had to eat it up because the next day wouldn't be any good. Um, Because they couldn't work on the Sabbath when they collected it, it would, for that one day a week, it would be good until the, uh, it would be good for the Sabbath day, so they didn't have to go work and collect anymore. So God caused these provisions to be made, and we see that it's God's supernatural provision. It's His own recipe. It's His own creation. It has a unique, again, delivery method, unique criteria for how it's going to work. It's interesting because some was gathered in a jar and put in the Ark of the Covenant to be kept there. And uh, the ark was lost about 600 years before Jesus, but it was so revered and, and so symbolized the provision of God that it was put in there. And to the church in Pergamum, he's saying this, if you obey me, in spite of where you live, in spite of what you face, in spite of what's going on, if you will obey me, I will provide from my own hand for your life. I will be your personal provider. I will be the one that will own fully the provision for your life to make sure that you have what you need. I will do it in creative ways. I will do it in supernatural ways. I will even do it in the context of a desert where there's no resource around in a desert. That's why people meandered through deserts. Nobody said, hey, this desert, I guess Las Vegas would be different. But nobody in history says, boy, this desert, unless there was water, I'm just going to hang out in this desert. They traveled through. But God says, I will be your provider, even in the context of a desert, where there are no resources, where there, there isn't what you need. Hidden manna. And he also promises them this, a white stone with a new name on it. In the city of Pergamum, they appeared to prefer like a brownish granite to build their structures. A lot of their structures were built with this type of granite. But when they wrote inscriptions identifying a building, identifying a god or his name or a phrase, they preferred white stone. And the church of Pergamum was not a a big show in town. It wasn't a a culturally trend-setting place. It wasn't popular. It wasn't a place that people, you know, just, just gravitated toward. They were in obscurity. And Jesus promises them, if you obey me, I will take you from obscurity, nothingness, seemingly insignificance, to a place of prominence and a place of significance. And unlike all the other inscriptions this church of Pergamum would see around the city, uh, your inscription will only be known to you. No one else will have the satisfaction of knowing everything I am doing and am going to do for you. So we may not be thrilled with a white stone initially or manna, but the symbolism that these people clearly understood. God says, I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to take you from uh, a place of insignificance and obscurity to a place of significance. So the application today, the application today. 
And this is where we're going to have a moment. And, and, and just, a, just a moment here, I want to invite you to, to come and find a place of prayer. And uh, last week we had the Swanapoles here. Weren't they a gift to us, being able to have them? If you were able to come Sunday night, you knew that as well. If you were able to come Wednesday night, you were able to experience uh, God's presence. But this is, this is where we're at today, is that in the application of this for our life, for your life, for my life. Number one, God sees where you're at. I know that's not a complicated phrase or thought. But so many times, we think he doesn't. We think he doesn't understand our frustration with the situation. We think he doesn't understand our relationship challenges. Uh, he, we think for some, he's too busy or he doesn't get this about my life or that piece of my life. And we wouldn't verbalize it, but we act like he doesn't understand where we're at. We act like he doesn't know what's going on with us. So number one, it's very important to see, know that God sees where you live. You and I both know we can act a certain way up here, right? When we're here, you know, um, I come up here today, my shirt's mostly ironed, you know, um, I don't smell terrible, but you don't see me during the week, oftentimes. You don't know when I get frustrated with something or whatever, and we can do the same thing, right? We're here, we're a certain way, but God knows where you live. Everything that means, he sees where you live. In spite of the situation or circumstances, you might find yourself, in spite of where you live, the hardship of where you live, the challenge of where you live, God is still lovingly calling you and I to obey him. There is no, there is no excuse, no reason, no justification when we know what God's calling us to and to not obey him. He's not doing it in a way that if you don't obey me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe you off the face of it. He's saying, hey, test me, try me, believe me, obey me, follow me, do that. And his promise to you is that he will personally provide what you need in this obedience. And one day you get to publicly celebrate your faith in him. Could you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you, Jesus. If you're here today, you want to come find a place of prayer. Maybe you just, God knows where you're at, but you want to tell him. You want to say, you want to pour your heart out to him and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. This is what I'm facing. These are the obstacles. These are the barrier. This is, this, God, I need you to know this. Come find a place of prayer. Maybe you want to come tell him, Lord, in spite of this situation, in spite of where I live and where I'm at, I, I commit myself today to obeying you. I commit myself to obeying you in this, this matter or that matter, in this way. God, I, I, I refresh my resolve to obey you today. Maybe you want to come forward and begin to talk to him about that. Maybe you feel like God knows where I live and, and I've been obeying him, but I haven't felt any of the reward. I, just, I feel frustrated. I feel uh, uh, just... I guess that'd be the best word, frustrated with God. It doesn't seem like you have come through in the way I'd hoped or, or the timing that I'd hoped. And you want to say, God, I, I want to declare today, I want to say today that I believe you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And, and you just want to come up here and say, God, I know that you have good things for me. I know that, that as I've obeyed you, God, that you're going to come through 
And maybe you want to come find a place of prayer and just say that today. Let's take just a few moments and call in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, those that are down front praying, those that are at their seat praying, and even those that are in their seat and they're maybe, maybe just don't feel a real connection to you today. God, you see where we live. You see every part of it. You see where we are, what we face. God, you see what sits in front of us and what we've just come through and what's up ahead. God, you see it all. You see those in our life that are in our corner and those that seem to oppose us. God, you see obstacles and work and relationships that we face. God, you see it all. And yet, you are calling us to obey you. You're calling us to follow you. You're calling us to lay down our lives and to take up our cross. You're inviting us to do that. We don't have to do it. We're not robots. But God, you're inviting us. Would you follow me? God, I pray that as there are people all across this room that are realizing maybe in a fresh way that, God, you see me. And maybe there's an area of obedience. There's an area where God's just calling and saying, hey, would you trust me in this area? Would you believe me? God, I pray that there be a new resolve. I pray that there'll be a fresh hunger to not only hear your voice, but to act on it in faith. Lord, give them a, a real clear picture, a real clear understanding of what that would look like and what they're to do, next steps, blessing over them. And God, for those that have been obedient, they, they're, they're being faithful to what you've called them to do, and there just doesn't seem to be much reward. There just doesn't seem to be much uh, positive coming out of their obedience. God, help them to press in. Help them to develop uh, that long-suffering. Help them to develop that, that, that determination, not in their own strength, but in the power of your spirit. And God, I pray that they would see your reward. They would see it in this lifetime, that they would see you work and you move and do things in incredible ways. Let there be breakthrough where they just feel like they're, they're banging their lives up against a wall. I pray blessing over them in that way. And God, we thank you for the church in Pergamum. 
We never met them, but boy, we understand where they're coming from. We understand that sometimes where we live is difficult. We understand that sometimes obeying doesn't always come natural. And God, we understand that, God, we, we just long for your reward in our life. Lord, thank you for the people of Praise Assembly. Pray your blessing on them. And thank you for the opportunity we get to hear your word and to call in your name and to trust you together. I pray you would continue to bless those people whose names were called earlier that need physical healing. But bless your people. Make us a light wherever we go. God, cause us our lives to be powerful in your hands this week. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great day today.